And what I want to do is I want to equip and I want to empower husbands and wives or future husbands and wives or just people to help out other people that are going to be getting married. This will equip you. You know, a great illustration we can use to convey marriage is a tandem bike, a bicycle built for two. Because it's no longer about what I want, it's about what we want. We're in this together. We're doing it together. When I married Leah a little over 32 years ago, um, it was no longer just me making a decision. It was now us making a decision because if I was making the decision all the time, we probably wouldn't have lasted this long. You know, I, I, the first five years were, were horrible. My mom could kind of tell you. She, she told uh, my wife, she goes, leave him now. The kids won't remember him. <laughs> and then she said, you're welcome at the house. He's not. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, before I became born again, I was not a good person. When your own mama don't want you in the house, there's something wrong. Because mothers protect their kids from everybody and everything. She was trying to protect my wife and my kids from me. Anyway, just saying. If I had to do everything all over again, I still would have married Leah. I would have just made some different decisions in the beginning. You know, is, is, is all. Because I, I believe I have the greatest wife in the world. I do. I mean, to, I'm serious. To put up with me? I mean, I have a hard enough time putting up with me. All right. We're going to get started right here, okay? Number one, it takes both people peddling to move the marriage forward. See, all too often what happens is people get their feelings hurt, so they stop peddling, they stop trying in a marriage. One person feels that they're carrying the whole load in a marriage, and then the other person gets tired quicker, and suddenly the marriage is at a standstill. Maybe he tries to work on the marriage and she doesn't want to, or maybe she tries and then he doesn't want to, and, and then the marriage starts looking like someone who's trying to drive a stick shift for the very first time. It's just, oh, you know, stops. At, at every place where you have a stop sign, you don't want to stop on a hill because you start rolling backwards. Y'all know what I'm talking about. See, what God said is God said it's not good for a man to be alone. That's what God said. And that's why Eve was created, not Steve, but Eve. And Eve was created out of the rib of Adam. Well, what's so important here? Well, it wasn't created from the head to dominate him. It wasn't created from the feet to be trampled on by him, but created next to the heart to be loved by him created around the arm to be protected by him, created to be an equal with him. That's how Eve was created. So we don't take a look at Eve being someone who is less than. Eve is an equal to, but we have different parts. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it says, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. And that's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to help each other succeed. Marriage is meant to complement one another, not to complete one another. So all you Jerry Maguire fans, you complete me. That is not what marriage is about. I mean, it's a good line in a movie, 
But in the beginning, marriage was designed for two people who were already complete individually to enter into a covenant together and form something different than either one of them can do on their own. That's what a marriage is. Let me put it a different way. Marriage is two complete people coming together and building a we that is bigger and better than either one of the eyes involved. That's what marriage is about. Making something better. Because every man should be a complete man. And every woman should be a complete woman. And when these two complete beings get together, they become better because they bring different things to the table. See, marriage wasn't designed to make you a whole person. It was designed to give your wholeness a new range of experiences. If one or both of you coming to a marriage are looking for someone, a person to complete you, then the marriage is going to break down. I'm going to prove that in a minute. Let's continue reading verse number 10. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. That's the biblical definition of married people, it's okay to spoon, okay? I'm just saying, you can cuddle up together. It's all right. Married people. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Well, you know, yeah, that's having Jesus in the middle of a relationship. That's actually how my relationship turned around. That's, that's how my marriage lasted. That's how we didn't walk away from each other because Christ became the center of our relationship. Why do you think the enemy tries so hard to divide a couple, marriages? Because Jesus said this, a house divided will not stand. And what he does is he does this by bringing things to your remembrance, everything that even slightly irritates you about your spouse. And it makes your thoughts a nest for ungodliness, right? See, Satan believes the scriptures better than we do because he knows there's power in agreement. That's why he needs to separate us. He believes that. In Matthew 18, 19, he said, I also tell you this, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do for you. you you don't need a preacher. You don't need a prophet or an apostle to pray for you uh, or with you. You just need your spouse. When you two get together, you guys are powerful, extremely powerful. You can move mountains together. Everybody say this with me. My spouse is not my enemy. Thank you very much. Because the spouse is not your enemy. Not at all. The spouse should be your greatest friend besides Jesus, should be your greatest cheerleader besides Jesus. Your spouse is the number one physical being on this earth you need to be connected to. Consider how powerful you are together. I mean, just consider that. If both of you are believers, that makes you more than conquerors in a household. And there's nothing the enemy can do that you can't conquer through Christ Jesus. Not one thing. 
But if you're divided in the house, your loyalties are divided, then you're not more than a conqueror. Number two, we must have a two-eyed vision for the marriage. Have you ever had a patch over your eye? It's a skewed vision. You have a different perspective. When you put both eyes together, they come into alignment, into agreement. Anybody shoot? Anybody shoot with both eyes open? The guys who shoot with both eyes open are shooters. The guys who shoot with one eye open, they like to shoot, but it doesn't make them shooters. A real shooter has both eyes open because they can see a different perspective in their shooting. And then all of a sudden you can see more clear. It's wild how that is. I talked to, um, it was Mike Gaby about that one time. He asked me uh, if I shot with both eyes open or, or just one eye. And, and I told him with both eyes open. But I'll, I'll tell you, with, with just one eye, it helps if you're just trying to shoot just one little target. Yeah, it does. There's a, but, but if you're actually really trying to shoot, you can see more. You can get clear vision. So when both man and woman are together, both eyes are open, and we have better vision for what's coming up. So together we bring one vision. She brings her views. I bring my views. And what happens is we see things clear. Philippians 2.2. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. See, there's power in agreement. There's a lot of power. We have to work together to pursue the same vision. See, if, if she's in front on the bike and I believe she's turning right, but she decides to turn left, we're going to have some problems. Because I'm going to lean right as she's turning left. And we need to be leaning together. Or otherwise, we have some problems. I've got some very good friends of mine who we rode a motorcycle with several years ago. And it wasn't that they were turning and they were, it was they were on a hill, so they needed to lean away from the hill. And since they didn't lean together the right way, the motorcycle went down. But see, what I'm getting at is in a relationship, that happens. If we're not leaning the right way, if we don't see the same thing, we're going to get in trouble. Well, how do we do this? Okay, let's say a couple comes to my office, and they come to my office for some marriage counseling, and they're ready to call it quits. They don't have any vision, or at least they think they don't have any vision, and this is, this is what I tell them to do every time I come into this situation. I tell them to write everything they hate, dislike, and are bitter by their relationship. And the reason why I do it, that is because it shows me what their vision is. And then what I do is I try to work that out and show them vision through that because my people perish for a lack of vision. And so once you can show people vision and you can paint the picture, then all of a sudden you have a positive turnaround. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write a vision and make it plain upon a tablet so that a runner can read it. Get a plan. Understand where you're going and, and go in the same direction. What are your goals in your marriage? 
Every, always in premarital counseling, what I do is I sit down with them and I ask them what's their five-year plan. I ask them what, their, what is their 15-year plan, and then I ask them what their 25-year plan is. Because if I can get them to go into a plan and work their plan, and it doesn't mean it's going to happen in five years. It could happen in two. It could happen in 10, but have a plan. And then you need another plan. So my whole point is this. Once you accomplish your plan, you have to have another plan. If your plan was to have a yellow house, a white picket fence, and a dog named Spot, what are you going to do when you get all those things? You're going to get bored with each other because you're not working together on doing something and building something. <clears throat> Some impractical thoughts in marriage, or an impractical thought would be this, you know, goal. I, want, I never want to fight. That's impractical because you're always going to, you're always, and I'm not saying that you're going to have a beat em up, drag down fight. I'm not saying that, but you're going to have disagreements. So the practical thought is I want to be able to disagree respectfully to where it doesn't get into a drag out fight. Because you're not always going to think the same. And it's funny, if you find somebody you think the exact same, marry them. You'll find out how much you don't think the same. But it's okay. All right? Have a plan. Decide where you can improve. Get some counseling. Read books on the subject. For a while, every week, talk about that one thing you're working on together and, and do it at a time when you're both re rested and when you won't be interrupted and then see how each of you thinks it's going. Listen to the other person. And after you've mastered that one thing, move on to another. In other words, don't conquer all of your ills at the same time. Conquer one at a time. One at a time. And the thing of it is, is when it's conquered, you don't ever revisit that. It's not you never revisit that subject. You do go back to it. You want to make sure that it's still working right because otherwise you'll revert to your old ways. It's exactly what happens. What, what's the old saying? If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Well, when I went to Bible college, they said if we didn't take our notes and if we didn't, we would lose them. You know what? They were exactly right. I, I've had to go back over some notes that I've taken. I've had to go back over some things going, man, I forgot about that. That was really good. And I've had to re-put some things, reboot some things into me. And this is the thing. Happiness should never be your goal because happiness is an emotion. And happiness, you could be happy or sad at a, at a drop of a hat. See, that'll change. Unity needs to be your goal. Same goals, same values. Talk about what you want, not about what you don't like. See, so many people, they talk, oh, this is wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong. Don't talk about that. You know, I'd really like to see this. I think this would make, make our marriage more healthy. This is what I'd like to see. I'd like to work on this together with you. Talk about those things. Listen to each other and give each other your undivided attention. If both of you have telephones in your hand, an iPad, a computer, the television's on and the 49ers are playing, or other teams for other people. But you see what I'm saying? 
get quiet, be able to talk and listen to, because there are a lot of hard times in relationships because there have been walls that have been developed. And the walls didn't start off immediately. It took years and years of practice to get these walls up. Guess what? They're not going to come down overnight either. It takes years and years of working at it to bring these walls back down. It's not a Jericho march. You don't walk around that wall and, and within seven days you shout out to the Lord and the wall comes down. It ain't like that, sister, brother. It's not. What you have to do is you have to work on it together. Ladies, I love you all, but this is the deal. Men are not mind readers. I don't know how many times I've heard my wife tell me that I know what she's talking about. I have no clue what she's talking about. I love her. But unless she really spells it out for me, and I mean, I might need smoke signals and Morse code and words and, and all kinds of things to, for it to penetrate me. I might need a little bit more help than some of the other guys, right? But men, just because a woman is asking you to do something doesn't mean she's nagging at you. See, I'm on both sides. I'm on God's side. I can't tell you how many times I've told Leah, stop nagging at me. What, Pastor, you do that? I have, several times in my life. And she probably wasn't nagging. She was probably just asking me to do something, and I was frustrated because I was doing something else that, to me, was more important. But to her, what she was asking me to do was very important. And, and you know, this is the thing. A lot of us go, wait, wait, wait until after the game. Pause it. Who cares that they know in California who kicked the field goal in before you do? Who cares? Because when you go do what she asks you to do, she goes, ah. Her heart gets all fluttery. Because then it's not, hey, I love you with your words. It's, hey, I love you with your action. And that's what women are looking for. And ladies, men are looking for respect. They need to be respected. But men, I'm going to tell you, if you want respect, you better give them love. Number three, allow each other to lead based upon one another's strengths. Leah is better with finances than I am. I'm better with numbers. I'm really good with numbers. But as far as, fine, man, if I'll go buy it. She'll say, wait, wait, hold on. Why? I want it now. That's why she controls the money. Who's better with the kids? Who's, who's in charge of the fun? Who's in charge of cleaning? Now, if it's all her, here you go, guys. When you're in the second seat, help the one in charge to get to where we need to go. So keep pedaling the bike. Put your head down and pedal the bike. There's a great principle in, in leadership that I find in 1 Peter. It's referring to church leadership, but it works great for leaders in the household as well. It says in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, it says, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. 
not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Verse 3, don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. This is great advice. Lead by good example. Don't just say it, do it. Be the greatest example to your spouse. Be the greatest example to your kids. Be the greatest example to people who are watching your marriage. Be the greatest example. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. I'm going to tell you what. I hate chick flicks. I am a shoot em up, beat em up, bang bang type of guy. Okay? I like action movies. But if I come into the room and she's watching some chick flick, I won't try to convince her to turn the channel. I'll sit with her and watch it knowing I don't like any part of this. <laughs> but you know what's so awesome about her? At some point, her knowing that I'm suffering. I'm suffering for Jesus. She hands me the control and she says, honey, put on whatever you would like. You know what I do? Yes, she does. You know what I do? Now, Janice might not mean it. <laughs> Leah does. This is what I do. No, honey, let's finish watching this. We'll watch something else later. That's what I do. And I, and I don't do that for an awe, but, but the reason why I do that is I want her to know that I am really taking, it, yes, interest in her. I'm taking my eyes and I'm targeting it on her. And she needs to know that. Do you do that all the time? Well, no, but I do it a whole lot more now than I did. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm starting to sound like the perfect husband. Listen, I'm giving you the perfect set of rules. I'm not telling you I'm the perfect guy. All right? I, I'm working on a lot of this stuff myself. And, and trust me, I don't care if you've been married 50 years. You're still going to be working on this stuff. You're going to be marriage, you're going to work on your whole life. That's just how it works. There's none of us that are perfect. Jesus is the only perfect one. Number four, reduce the distractions to avoid a crash. Do you realize that one of the leading causes of accidents is electronics? That's why, that's why they tell you not to use your electronics when you're driving a car. It's a, leading, it's a leading cause. Are you looking over there talking about me? Yeah, because I use mine. And, I, and, this, is, and this, is, this is what I tell her. I tell her it's legal for me because in the TCA code, as a law enforcement officer, you're allowed to do that as long as you're conducting, as long as you're conducting law enforcement business. As long as you're conducting law. And so when I'm, when I'm texting one of my fellow officers, which I do a lot, but she's talking about if I get on Facebook or something while I'm driving. No. <clears throat> okay, okay, okay. At my, my phone is set to silence at 6... 30 at night, or 6, 
six, 6.30, one of the two. And it doesn't get off silence until 6.30 the next morning. The only people that can call would be, if it's in my hand, they can call. But if it's not in my hand, it goes straight to voicemail. Yep, you know, you've tried to call me. Um, I'm serious. Yeah. And, and this is the deal. I, I did that on purpose. And there's people that are in my favorites, they can, and it's usually family or very close friends, but I also have some people on the pastoral staff who they can get a hold of me if there's an emergency with somebody at the church. But I, I did that, and I didn't do it when the kids were growing up, but I did it later on because I learned some things. I learned that I was doing a disservice as a father and as a husband by putting church business before family business. And it's so easy to do. You, get yourself, you, you catch yourself doing it, and then you stop doing it, and then you start doing it again. Because you, you, you get confused what is your relationship with God and what's your relationship with the church. They're two separate things. And your relationship with the church should never be above your relationship with your family. Your relationship with your family should be only be second to your relationship with God. Now, here's another distraction, and this is the one that gets me most all the time, overworking, overcommitted, not knowing how to say no, Alexa. She, she probably learned that from her dad. But that's, that's probably one of the biggest problems I have in, in my household is I'm working all the time. All, all, and and it's, it's been that way through our whole marriage. And it's, that's something I, I need help desperately. You need to use your discretionary time well, you know, like the, the times when you're watching television and social media and stuff, because it's easy to spiral down in a relationship and get to a place to where you're not talking to each other. And then you start getting to a place to where you start not liking each other. You have to be intentional because no one else is going to help fight or defend your marriage better than you. Number five, it is my job to keep myself filled. You know, when you ride a bike, it's always good to have bottled water with you. And when you have bottled water and I open up a bottle and I'm drinking my water and everything like that, I'm hydrating myself. But Leah's not getting anything from it. It's her job to get herself filled up as well. Jesus replied in uh, John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Who satisfies you? Who fills you? Who keeps you going? Your spouse is not responsible for your happiness. They are your number one in fleshly form. But if they're your number one, period, then your marriage is going to fail. Because Jesus has to be your number one. You have to stop leaning on your spouse to be your healer, your provider, your comforter, your helper, your strength, because that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit's job to do that. That's their job. The spouse is there to encourage us, to point us in the right direction, because sometimes we're not thinking right. God says in Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. He's your strength. He's your comforter. He's your healer. That's his job. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, it says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ Jesus, not my spouse, who gives me strength. Another way to keep you filled is be around godly people. Have godly friends. If you're hanging around people who are not godly, your life is going to spiral. It just is. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm called to be a witness. Yeah, you're called to be a witness. You're not called to live with them. You're not called to partake with the stuff that they partake with in this world. That's not what you're called to do. See, some of y'all are not strong enough to be around some of these people, and you need to get stronger in Christ Jesus before you get around some people. You know, years ago, that was one of the worst things that I did. Um, I probably would have remained a Christian when I was a teenager, when I was probably about 17 years old. I probably would have remained a Christian had I not gone back to witness some, to some people who used to, I used to smoke pot with. Okay? Had I not gone back, I probably would have remained because I, I probably would have stayed with the godly friends. See, and my mom knows that first little part there. I mean, I was doing good. I mean, I got in my closet. I threw away all my punk rock albums. Yeah, I was a punk rocker, late 70s, early 80s. Threw them all away, listening to, He is Jehovah, Lord God, my God reigns, my God reigns. And I'm 17 listening to this stuff. Well, I used to, you know, big difference. I had orange hair. I've had mohawks. And, and to put them up sometimes because I didn't have anything to put I'd spray paint them. Yeah. Oh, man, I was a holy terror. <laughs> and when you find godly friends, don't try to find godly friends in the comfort of the opposite sex because that will ruin your marriage. You got ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, leave them alone. Leave them ex. Don't ever talk about them. Don't ever talk to them. As a matter of fact, even if you saw them in the store, pretend you didn't. You don't have to lie. Oh, they were, that was them? <laughs> it looked kind of like them. <laughs> anyway. So the thing of it is, is don't just hang around with people who go to church. There's a lot of ungodly people who go to church. Find out if the people that you're hanging around are Christ-like. Those are the ones you want to hang out with. The iron sharpens iron. Number six, hills, potholes, and ditches are all part of the marriage journey. So get used to it. it it's there. The myth is this. Someday we're going to get to... Uh, to get to coast and have, a, have it smooth set. Not. You might have some smooth times, but there's always going to be some bumps somewhere. If not, then Jesus is a liar. What? Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. 
The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7.28, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. So the Bible tells us we're going to have troubles. Now, they might not be the same troubles, but it's going to be some troubles. You have to learn to face them. You know, a lot of people, if they saw what their marriage, what the journey was going to look like, they wouldn't marry anybody. Because marriage should be spelt W-O-R-K. You have to work at it to keep it going. You have to put your head down and keep pedaling and pushing and pulling and, and striving. Uh, put your foot on the throttle. You have to strive to, to, to be there sometimes. See, stop be believing the lie that we must not be right for each other um, because we fight so much. Listen, you have two people living together. One's a male and one's a female. You think totally different. Of course there's going to be some issues. Uh, of course you're going to have some stuff. Go back to God's word. Get back on the bike and stop Peddling, quit laying in the ditch asking if this is the right bike or the right partner. You made the choice. Stick with that choice. I'll tell you this, our differences are our strengths, not our weaknesses. They truly are. Because, see, Leah brings things to the table I can't bring to the table. She brings emotions to the table that I can't bring to the table. I bring a sternness to the table that she can't bring to the table. She bends at Ezra's every little whim. I don't. I bend at Leah's every little whim. Have you ever been to a beach and caught a wave? I used to surf growing up, and I lived right on the beach. I surfed right in front of my house. And I lived on the beach, and, and a surfer, an average surfer, can hold his breath about two minutes. Because sometimes the wave beats you down, and you get caught in, in, under the water, and, and, and things happen. Now, a big wave surfer has to be able to hold their breath anywhere from three and a half to five minutes. Because what happens when you get thrown down, you start swimming. You, you want to come up for air, but what happens is a lot of times you start swimming in the wrong direction. And then when you realize it, you come to yourself, you start going in the right direction. It's easy in the heat of the moment to go in the wrong direction and say the wrong thing. You need to be like a big wave surfer and bite your tongue and wait until you're starting to swim in the right direction to open your mouth. Because, see, one thing that you can't take away is those things that come out of your mouth when you speak into people's lives. You can't take that away. That's something that's... People say sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never... That's a lie. I remember surfing in one of the biggest storms in Seal Beach that was ever there in my lifetime when the pier was going down, I remember surfing. I remember coming down and trying to shoot the, uh, the, the pier. to go. But instead of just shooting the pier, I wanted to dodge a couple pilings, then shoot the pier. I hit the piling. Now, if you know what a piling looks like, it has a bunch of barnacles on it. So I got scraped up, and I'm bloody 
in water, probably infested with sharks because a lot of people fish on that pier, right? I still have scars from it today. But, that, but I don't remember that moment like I remember when someone who loved me called me an idiot, said I was stupid, said I was foolish, said I would never make it. I still remember those. Those are still there. And, and the thing of it is, is the only way to combat that is I have to spend a lot of time with God. The more time I spend with God, the less those things affect me. But that thing that, that, that where I fell down uh, or, or I hit that piling, that thing didn't affect me like, like some of the other things, like the Word. So we need to hold our tongues. Watch what we say. I'm going to give you some practical steps for recovery. All right? Be quick to apologize and forgive. You need to shut the door on envy, strife, bitterness as quickly as you can. Don't allow the enemy to have entrance into your life at all. It's not about a winner or a loser. It's about picking up the bike and getting back on and riding the bike. That's what it's about. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you is what you have to do. And now if you're divorced and one of y'all are remarried or, or you're with someone, I'm not telling you to go back to that relationship and get remarried and stuff like that. I'm telling you when you're working on the relationship you're with now, put these principles to work. This will help your marriage. The next one, pick your battles. Ask yourself this question. What will this look like in 48 hours? What is this going to look like in a week? So pick your battles. Not everything is worth bringing back up. Nobody likes to be constantly picked on or put down. Next one, you need to recognize you may have to agree to disagree. In other words, some issues just cannot be resolved. There's some things you're just not going to be able to resolve it. And this country was great for years, being able to agree to disagree. But we have come down a path that is horrible. That if I don't agree with you, I'm a hater. So in other words, I can't have my own opinion. Everybody should be able to have their opinion. It's a God-given right. All men are created equal. All. Every single one. It's, there is no color to it. There's no religion to it. There's no politics behind it. Every single one of us are created in the image and the likeness of God. And what we need to do as people is we need to tap in to that God that we believe in so we can bring a living Jesus to a lost and dying world. Because this world needs Jesus more than any other time I've ever seen in my life. The next thing is get rid of all thoughts of quitting. Don't ever entertain that, man, if I would have been with them, life would be a whole lot better. Listen here, honey, the grass is not greener on the other side. If it looks greener, that means there's a whole lot more fertilizer. And you're going to have to put up with a whole lot more than you, think you thought you had to put up with. 
See, because whoever you marry, at some point, they're going to do some things that irritate the fire out of you. We're going to close with this right here. Speak all five love languages. All five. I'm going to give them to you. We're going to... Words. Okay? In other words, give one another positive affirmation. The next one, touch. Connect physically. Touch, hug, kiss, hold hands. And you know what? It is okay to give your husband or your wife a kiss in the grocery store. But make sure it's a good kiss. I'm just going to keep it there. A kiss of love, not passion. Okay? Let me, let, let me just clear that up because so, i got some of y'all's minds are, are, are going not where mine is. Acts of service. Serving someone else diffuses anger. Because when somebody's mad at you and you start doing stuff for them, they start being less angry. Time. Give your relationship extra time. Spend spend quality time with your spouse. And the last one, gifts. If you just had something go on, give a gift within 24 hours of the situation. Don't allow that situation to, to, to linger. Give a rose. A favorite meal. Something. Give a gift. And I guarantee you, if you put these things together, and if you filled out your notes, and you just go over those things in your notes, and you treat your spouse the way we just talked about, you will have a good marriage. Actually, it will be a great marriage. It's a journey. And I want you to know that God loves you so much. He knew who you were going to marry before you married them. He did. And sometimes, and I'm sorry, sometimes you're the only one working on marriage, and, and it, it, it's sad, but this is the deal. You stay focused on your God. You stay focused on His love and you allow Him to shine through you. You don't try to change them. You allow God to affect their heart and allow God to do what God can do. He's the supernatural being. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for what this day represents. I thank you for all the married couples in here, the future married couples, those who have been watching online and listening by radio. I, Father, I thank you for all these relationships, and I pray for strength in these relationships. I pray that there's no hindrances in these relationships, whether it be finances or whether it be whatever. Father, I just pray 
for each and every person under the sound of my voice. And also, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you say, Pastor Rick, I've made him my Savior. I just He's just not been the Lord of my life, and I want to make him the Lord of my life today. If that's you on either one of those two things, let me see your hand, anybody at all. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead and you can put your hands down if you have them up. Let's all pray together. Those of you online, those of you listening in your cars. Heavenly Father, today I receive you. I receive Jesus. I receive the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. I receive the price that Jesus paid for my sin. Today, I not only make Jesus Savior, I make Him Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.